Alt Sports Talk, altsportstalk.com. I just assume Kiss and Mookie. It's a podcast about Star Wars and the New York Mets. Jason, I have amazing news for you. Even more amazing that you've lived long enough for there to be, what, 10 Star Wars DVDs on your shelf, soon to be 11? More amazing than that. David Wright is back and would like to play baseball for the New York Mets. Aren't you excited? Well, yeah, I would be if the Mets seem inclined to let him play baseball for them, of course. But <laughs> always something with our team is it not. Uh, what is your take on this? Uh, you know, I'll just say insurance is my take, but like, this is maddening of all the things that I get mad at this franchise for. This one is really bothering me. Um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I suspect the, what's going on is a little more complicated than our, our simple conclusion. Um, but I don't think that's, uh, particularly a reason not to be mad at the Mets. Um, you know, it stands to reason that, of course, they would screw this up because they are terrible at handling injuries <laughs> and terrible at messaging. And, um, you know, they're reaping what they, they've sown. So what do I mean by that? I mean, it, it, you know, there are reading in some of the stuff, like in The Athletic, which, you know, by the way, and every Mets fan should subscribe to The Athletic. It's really... Uh, terrific and well worth every penny. But, um, you know, reading some stuff there and in other things, I mean, it does sound like uh, playing in minor league games, like there were some limitations on right, um, from not playing full games to, you know, particularly like not being told not to dive for balls, um, et cetera. So, you know, that initial thing that Mickey Calloway said that he had been medically cleared uh, for minor league games but not major league games didn't seem to make any sense and doesn't seem to be a thing that actually exists. But, you know, un- understanding things like that, it does sound more like a clumsily delivered explanation of something that is real. Um, you know, so, okay, but does this get the Mets off the hook? No. I mean, my reading of things with more information is that they were somehow blindsided by the fact that Wright might actually play this year and kind of didn't have a plan for that and are now are scrambling and don't know quite what to do, which once again gets back to, you know, two of the things that make us angry about being fans of this team, like pretty much every single week, like inability to handle injuries and inability um, to communicate decently with, um, you know, their own departments and then with fans in the media. Um, You know, so is that a better story than, you know, the Mets don't want to, uh, the Mets would rather collect the insurance money than have David Wright return? I guess a little bit. But is it a good story for the Mets? No. And it's the same old bad story. Um, you know, as for the insurance thing, I mean, it is actually a fair amount of money. It's like $2 million this year. And then the thing a lot of people have missed is that, as I understand it, it would mean that the first 60 days of the 2019 season wouldn't be covered by insurance, uh, right. which is like another $3 million. So, you know, it is $5 million. Um, now, I mean, some caveats. It's $5 million that 
the Wilpons have been counting against the payroll, but not reinvesting anyway. So, you know, um, you know, so, which is gross. Um, but you know, we're not, I'm not saying we should approve of that, but for the way the Wilpons have handled money, um, it's more money than you might think when you realize it's also the first two months of next year. But I mean, look, I mean, this, this is, this is detail stuff, which, you know, on a long podcast, we ought to cover, but does it change the primary focus of this story? No. David Wright wants to play the Mets for reasons valid and perhaps not so valid, um, seem to be slow walking that, and they have totally screwed up the communications around it. So, you know, what is new in our world? Money aside, and easy for me to say, I don't have to write the check, but money aside, Maybe David can't dive for a ball. Maybe his range is diminished. Does it matter for a team that's going to lose 90-ish games anyway? I've been saying on Twitter, 72 and 90, 70 and 92, same thing. Maybe whoever they're playing are a bunch of assholes and bunt on him, and it's embarrassing. Do you even care, or do you just want the buzz of, wow, David Wright's actually playing? Yeah, I mean, I mean look, $5 million is a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money. It's probably more money than I make in my entire life and probably my wife, too. I mean, it's a lot of money for me. It's, I presume, a lot of money for you. Um, You know, it is not a lot of money or should not be a lot of money for the owner of a New York City Major League Baseball franchise. Um, And, you know, certainly, I mean, David Wright has earned the chance to come back. He has worked harder and I think you or I have ever worked in our entire lives, and we both worked pretty hard just to get back to this point. Um, he deserves this. Um, to the Mets ought to be doing everything they possibly can to help him get it rather than blocking him. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if, if, um, I mean, look, if they, announced, if they announced today that David Wright was going to be activated Sunday, I would go to the game. Um, right. In fact, I've been holding off on plans uh, during the rest of these homesteads because if David Wright is activated, I'm going to go to the game. So, you know, there's a bunch of money there. I mean, not $5 million, but a bunch of money there. And, um, you know, there's another factor here, which is, you know, we do not know um, beyond what we've read from, like, Mark Craig and other people, but we don't know really what David Wright is feeling. Um, we don't actually know how hard this has been from him. But the other thing I would think about if I were the Mets is, you know, it's entirely possible if they activated uh, Wright and let him play, you know, uh, let him get in as many games as he can play down the stretch, whether that's one or three or five or ten, you know, it's possible he may see that as what he intended to do and worked hard. And then he may look at another just, just, just brutal winter of constant conditioning, et cetera, and say, you know, this isn't worth it to me. I did what, you know, I set out to do. I got back, you know, maybe it's time to hang it up. In which case the Mets have saved a whole lot of that money. So, you know, they might, I mean, in addition to letting him play being, I think, clearly the right thing for all he's done for this franchise and for the Wilpons, it actually might save them a fair amount of money if they let him do it, depending on, you know, how he feels and what um, decisions he makes, which are entirely his. But that's that's something I wonder um, if they've considered. 
So let me bounce another scenario off you. I, I think in our fantasies, uh, David Wright is playing on Sunday at City Field, and you and I are there with the other Mets fans, and we cheer him. But looking ahead on the schedule, the Mets are at Boston weekend of the 14th, which opens mm-hmm. up the DH slot, which then yep. takes out the he has no range. He seems like he can bat. He got a few hits, not a lot, but I, I don't think it would be absurd to have him stand there and take four at-bats on the way to 90 losses. No, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that would be really ideal. And who knows, maybe that's what they are thinking about. But once again, you know, I really like some communications about that. Um, I'm actually going to be at that game Saturday in Boston, too. So, hey, maybe we get lucky. Oh, I hope that works out for, A, David Wright, secondarily you. Um, <laughs> but that, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, so I that mean, takes I, out my... it would be. But I just, you know, just, I just hope he gets to play. I hope he gets to play, and I hope he gets to, I hope he gets to leave with his head, head held high. And what that means for him, I don't know. That's up to David Wright. But I hope he gets it. Yeah, no, very well said. If he gets to go out on his own terms and, uh, you know, hopefully it's the happy ending and not uh, that he's secretly seething that the Mets won't play him and we wind up with yet another Mets alum who doesn't have a good relationship with ownership. I think in this case that would be really awful. And just pure business, that's a 30-year mistake. I brought this up as well. Tom Seaver, you and I love him, but the Seaver days are over. Piazza kind of doesn't really seem to want to be face of the franchise, or maybe he asked for too much money here, but you know, Piazza's like sort of around. If David Wright is not the ambassador to the franchise for the 2020s and 30s, I don't know who the heir apparent would be. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. That's, um, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's that larger picture. I mean, how, could you screw that up? But these are the Mets. You know, they screw up one-car funerals. They really do. Um, <laughs> I really wish they'd stop. Um, all right, so switching topics, let me bring up the hard luck pitcher with the great ERA who doesn't win any games. And that, of course, is 1978's Craig Swan, who deserved to win the <laughs> Cy Young Award, Jace. Yeah, I see what you did there. That's good. <laughs> You're not a fan of the pitcher win, right? Uh, I I think it's stupid for all the reasons that if you're a modern baseball fan, you probably know. So why do them to death? Um, do I think it's like a threat to the Republic? No. I mean, <laughs> you know, 10, 12, 15, 20, 25 wins means something to me that, you know, even though like war or fifth, are much better statistics, you know, those don't have the same hold on me. So, yeah, I don't get, I don't get exercised about it. I mean, like I think most fans, when, when um, Jacob deGrom is no longer in line for wins by pitching well, I kind of give a ground. But, uh, yeah, and pitcher wins are dumb. But lots of things about baseball are dumb, and I still like it quite a lot. I don't think he will win the Cy Young, fair or not. I, I just think uh, it's September 7th as we record. He's 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, Let's say everything goes great and he finishes 12-8. and eight. I just think the people that vote will see the 12 and not vote for him. I think it's possible. I mean, the, the thing that uh, has kept me from worrying about it too much is you've got three, three pitchers, all of whom are incredibly worthy. Um, 
you know, if, if whether it's, it's DeGrom, whether it's Max Scherzer, whether it's Aaron Nola, you know, you, each of them you can say, like, yeah, that guy totally deserved to win the Cy Young Award. I mean, it's, I think, you know, let's save getting upset when that's not the case. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Scherzer, I mean, his ERA is higher. We know that. He has more strikeouts. He has more wins. Um, um, you know, all those strike me as worthy credentials. I mean, Nola is doing just fine in terms of wins and is, you know, the only one of the three with a chance to play baseball in October, which ought to mean something. Um, you know, there's no injustice, um, whichever one of them wins it. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about uh, Daniel Murphy ha- has moved over to the Cubs. Uh, I'm a pretty notable Daniel Murphy fan. He is is and is going to just tear it up in Wrigley. I won't be surprised if they keep him next year. I, I just think that's such a good home for him. Yeah. No, it is. And I, I think he's the kind of player that, well, I mean, you know, I think every franchise is, is you know, happy to have Murph with um, – his hitting ability and his occasional his occasional goofiness on the base pass and whatever else he might do, and he's very human in a way that is, um, you know, is um, makes you want to root for him. Yeah, I think he's a great fit for Chicago. Um, I was just thinking about all the strangeness of it. I mean, there was this, you know, this moment a, a, like a week ago. When I looked up and I was like, Daniel Murphy is a cop. Like, you know, Daniel Murphy who you know, helped help helped send the Cubs home in a series in which they never had a lead. Um, and now he's a Cub and, you know, Lucas Duda is a Royal and they probably don't know quite what to think whenever he throws palm from first. And now of course, Lucas Duda is now a brave and no longer Royal. And, you know, Dave Island, uh, is the Mets pitching coach and not the Royals. But just baseball is just funny. Like you, um, you know, these in things that seem absolutely impossible and, you know, reconfigurations that in like high school romance would have everybody like texting for months in agony, you know, <laughs> just happen in a season or two. And you're like, wait, what is happening here? Yeah, it is weird when you see guys in uniforms and it just, uh, it, it's just weird. I, I was in the bar maybe last night, night before I was in the bar two nights in a row, Jace. And oh, anyway, the national game was on. And like I, I'm just now like used to looking at a national game and, and waiting for Murphy to get up. But I'm like, oh yeah, he's not there anymore. Now I like really don't care about this team. This, you know, the thing I go back to though is just be glad that Tom Seaver got hurt going down the stretch in 1986. And you know, imagine if it was, um, you know, Tom Seaver coming out in Game Seven instead of Calvin Chiraldi, and the Mets don't win. And you know, how would you handle that one? Like, As that was incredibly close to happening. It's amazing that that did not happen, right? Like everything that is in our blood, yeah. our fiber, if, if you woke up out of a coma that happened to you on October 15th and I told you that's what happened, you'd be like, yeah, of course, that's what happened. Well, you know, it's funny, though. That is actually really kind of a last 20 years view of the Mets, though, I think. I mean, in 86... I mean, I don't remember thinking we were star-crossed and eternally cursed. I just thought we were, you know, we were a team that always had good pitching and no bats and finished third. Like, that was kind of our fate. And then, you know, it was the 85-86 Mets that kind of changed that equation um, in a new way. But, uh, yeah, I guess it would have started us in our kind of little black cloud over our heads persona earlier. 
I'm so glad it didn't happen. That would have been depressing <laughs> as hell. No, no, you're absolutely right. And again, for younger listeners, us old guys are going on about the 85, 86 Mets again. But they really, really did. You lived it. You know, they had that extra gear of the score could be, you know, Phillies 15, Mets nothing. And you were like, yeah, but Keith Hernandez is going to like crush a beer can and stomp on a cigarette on the way to the plate. And he'll get a hit. Daryl will knock him in. And we're going to come back tonight. Like you just felt... Every single night you were going to win, except for maybe a couple minutes uh, in game six. <laughs> yeah. Um, another fun thing to do, and it's really a different conversation, though, is also, you know, run, rerun, the, rerun the standings um, uh, as if there were wild cards in current divisions. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, the Mets are in the playoffs like five, six years in a row. Um, it's been, you know, suddenly, suddenly it's, it's a very different world. But you know, that's okay. Baseball is always going to be different over areas, and that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I've been on a kick most of the summer uh, about baseball being boring, dying, needing a change. There is a great – I'm not going to beat that drum. There's a great documentary on Netflix about the sport of cricket, which you know I didn't really know much about. It's like 18 minutes long. Definitely watch oh. it. And okay. – and it, it explains to you how cricket works and how they tweak the rules. Short version is about 15 years ago, uh, they, they created a shorter version of cricket called T20. Watch the doc. They'll explain it. It will make sense to you. The India Premier League of cricket became super popular because reasons. Something they do over there that I think could make MLB electric. Imagine this, Jace. Yeah. The, the free agent auction. I'm stealing this from cricket. You've got a big ballroom with all the owners with paddles and Daniel Murphy's a free agent. Start bidding. Would you not sit there and stare at four hours of television to see when the Will Ponds <laughs> held up the paddle? Oh God. And well, player agents would be all over it. They would be so, so thrilled. Um, yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, well, it actually, it kind of goes back to what, um, if you read about kind of baseball's labor wars, like, um, the only owner, uh, was, um, I actually forget. It was either Bill Vack or Charlie Finley, but um, I want to say it was one, Finley. I know where you're going, but go. Yeah. Yeah. One, I think it was Finley. I, um, but one of the owners was like, um, yeah, we should have free agency and one year deals. And and Marvin Miller was just terrified that the owners <laughs> would be smart enough to do that because it would put all the economic power uh, in the hands of the owners. Like, you know, what Miller saw, the essential um, really building block of the player's wealth, and by the way, also the wealth that wound up accruing to the entire game. So let's not see this as like a player's victory. But, um, you know, Miller was the one who saw that the players have the strongest position if there was a steady but not overwhelming flow of free agent talent every year. Um, and, you know, Finley um, saw it otherwise. But, you know, fortunately for the players, uh, none of the owners, other owners listened to him. But, yeah, that's not, it's sort of a world not entirely off what you're thinking about with the auction. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch the heck out of that. Um, how about uh, Jose Reyes probably getting near the end uh, with his time at the Mets? Although when it comes to Jose Reyes, never say never. 
what becomes the the book on Jose Reyes, you know, five years after retirement? Are, are people thinking about young Jose that everyone loved, or is everyone thinking of the virus because the virus hung around too long? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but, I mean, I, I hate that we even have to discuss that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and that's something I wonder, you know, did, did Jose, did, I mean, whoever has so scrupulously protected him on the Mets, um, you know, did they think that went through? I don't know. I mean, does that matter? I mean, does that matter again? Is, is, is anyone employing Jose Reyes next year? Uh, I don't know, but yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how, I don't know how that's going to sort out, but I mean, this whole year has just been so sour and strange. Um, you know, I, I guess the point is it's, it's great to start out 11 and one, but if you're going to go 11 and one, you better win because otherwise, you know, everything else just becomes a big drag. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just been, it's been a very strange year. I just, I, I, um, you know, every year is unique, but years tend to sort of fit in broad categories and I kind of don't have anyone to put this one in. Um, it's a very, very strange year. And really, I, I guess what it comes down to is, is sort of kind of three or four different seasons in one and trying to figure out how they fit together. Yeah, and I'm not, I don't feel like it's built towards anything. I, you know, I'm reading Dave Island's comments that, well, we have a World Series caliber rotation. They're like, fine, dude, but like you spent the whole winter telling me you have five aces. So what are you telling me now? You have five aces? Apparently you lose 90 games with five aces. Like, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, in some ways it does feel like it's building towards something. I mean, you know, I mean, Zach Wheeler, I think, I mean, Zach Wheeler is, is probably the best news story of the year um, to, yeah. to separate him from DeGrom and the amazing things he's doing. I mean, that's amazing, and it's a lot of fun to see, but I don't think anybody's stunned by it. Like, we knew Dave, we knew Jacob DeGrom was an ace. Um, but, you know, Zach Wheeler turning into a really, really good, reliable pitcher, I mean, we didn't see that. That was the optimist case, and it's here. Um, you know, Matt, in the last month or so, Matt and Syndergaard have seemed fairly healthy, um, you know, Conforto seems, I, I think it's pretty clear his injury was mismanaged pretty thoroughly, but he seems to be better. Um, Ahmed Rosario has really made great strides as a ball player and frankly, you know, made the case for letting, put young players out there and let them play for God's sake. It'll take them a while, but they'll get somewhere. And, you know, so what, I, what I'm rattling on about is, you know, potentially all those are really important stories um, for next year. Um, but, you know, as you know, you know, we've been told that and believed that before and had it come to nothing. So we're, you know, we're, I think, understandably a little wary at this point. (laughs) Uh, final Mets topic, not really a question, but let me just throw all these things in a blender. Peter Alonzo, Jay Bruce, Dom Smith, Will Merflores, first base, go. Oh God, I just... You know, I, mean, I, I, I would understand Alonzo in service time. Every team does this. And, you know, yep. if you're a baseball fan mad about Peter Alonzo, you ought to be really mad about Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's, you know, <laughs> is getting freaking 400 and not here. Uh, with the same thing, with a team having a lost season that could use some fan excitement. Um, 
But the the thing that I, I don't get is, um, yeah, I don't really get the feeling the Mets are manipulating service time so much with Alonso. I mean, they don't think he can play first base. They don't really seem to have any faith in him. Um, you know, once again, it just it seems like there isn't a plan. And I don't know if that's because there isn't a GM anymore or if the Mets are just such a garbage fire that, you know, nobody is on the same page and everyone's afraid of it. I just don't get it. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a plan for him. And, you know, when a guy has that kind of year um, in the minors and puts himself in this position, there ought to be a plan. And there isn't one. What's the plan for Dom Smith? I mean, did Dom Smith just get squeezed out because nobody thought about first base? Has Dom Smith <laughs> something awful that nobody wants to talk about? Like, what is going on with Dom Smith? I mean, he was, you know, he was brought up multiple times this year not to play. Um, he was sent down. He was put in left field for, you know, no reason in the middle of the <laughs> season. I mean, just what is the plan? That's, you know, I guess I could did. David Wright and medical clearance was there. What was the plan? Was there ever a plan? Increasingly, I'm beginning to think there isn't a plan. And that's the real problem. I mean, <laughs> you know? So, well, I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, the rest of the stuff is, you know, on the surface of it makes some sense. I mean, Dave Bruce is here, like, I mean, what did he sign? Like a 50 year deal or something ridiculous? We're going to be playing that forever? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, Dave Bruce is here, a guy making that much money, you're going to play. You know, Wilmer Flores, I mean, you know, we know what Wilmer is, but, you know, a bunch of us were advocating that he ought to have a chance to play and quit being jerked around the infield, and now that's happened. So, but it just doesn't fit together. So, you know, what's the Mets plan for first base in, say, April 2019, and what's their plan for first base in July 2019? Like, I don't think... Do you know what that is? I don't know what it is. No, I don't think anybody I think, knows what it is. I think everything you're talking about gets back to it just shows you kind of need a general manager, guys. Like this four or five months with nobody in charge. There's no plan. There's no vision. It's like they just went, all right, we'll just, you know, we'll mope around the season with no plan and we'll figure it out in the off season. And now you're on the other side of that timeline and it just seems yeah. nutty. Yeah, I mean, there's always been the suspicion that there can never really be a plan because Jeff Wilpon has to interfere with everything. And we've heard that going back to Jim Duquette being GM. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the the way to fix that certainly isn't having like three co-GMs and Jeff Wilpon interfering. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, they, they, they seem to have come up with a plan that's actually worse than what they had. And, I just, uh, it just boggles the mind. It really does. My favorite tweet on the subject was somebody, like, for real suggested what the Mets need to do, Jason, yeah. is get a no-nonsense money ball type. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, like, you know, somebody out of the A's organization, like an older man that would command respect. Maybe an ex-Marine would make a lot of sense. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about, random guy on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, um, but, I mean, Jesus. I mean, who... I mean, this is what's behind all the conspiracy theories around Sandy Olsen in the first place. Like, who, the, who in God's name would take that job? <laughs> would you take well, that job? The, yeah, there's only 30 of them. You take that job. Yeah, well, okay, that is a good point. But, I mean, you and I, you know, you and I have enough experience in the working world to know organizations like well-run 
badly run somewhere in between. I mean, would you walk into this organization? <laughs> I mean, so if, if you have a successful career already, no. If it's an opportunity to have one of 30 jobs, you go into it knowing it's going to be an 18-month disaster and then you're going to get fired, but now you're in the general manager's club and can go be the manager of the Padres and have a nice life by the beach, general manager of the Padres, um, you do take it as a stepping stone. Someone absolutely will take the job. It's just like a field manager. Like There's only 30 jobs. Well, yeah, and, and frankly, um, you know, Rico and Richardi are well positioned to do that. Um, give one of them the damn job. Um, you know, Omar, I think, you know, Omar's last go around with the Mets, um, I mean, was so disastrous at the end. You, that's, you, that's why we were all shocked he returned. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, if, if I, and Terry Collins being manager really opened my eyes to one thing at least that, that, you know, you can actually be too cynical about people changing. I mean, you know, Terry Collins very clearly thought about like what didn't work for him as a personality manager wise and was very different. So I don't know, maybe Omar Minaya has learned something and wouldn't like go to pieces embarrassingly in press conferences because he just, or whatever the hell that was. Um, maybe he's learned, but geez, I mean, yeah, I mean, pick a dude. I'm sure any of those guys would take that job, but you know, yeah, there needs to be one GM with, as much autonomy as the Wilpons allow. Yep. All right, let's switch to Star Wars. We've uh, missed several weeks because I was on the road a lot, so my apologies to you and the listeners. And I decided to go to your favorite site, Jason, express.co.uk, and see what was happening with the Star Wars rumors. Yeah. Um, This is the segment we we call Jason Says. We'll see. So for Episode 9, Jason, maybe you can react to this rumor. Express.co.uk says episode nine will feature lots of locations, planets, and characters. Ooh, you like that's possible for a Star Wars movie? I'm pretty <laughs> sure that they've got one right there. Yeah, I mean, see, yeah, see, you just had a little long. Movie doesn't do that. Um, there were all sorts of things on your favorite site with theories on episode nine and what's going on with Leia, and, blah, 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 yeah. and like, I, I couldn't even. I couldn't even read them just to get you going. And I'm like, uh, I'll play this card. So um, here you have it. Noted author Jason Fry thinks it is possible that there are multiple locations <laughs> in a film. Oh, boy. Uh, after the quick <laughs> clickbait races, we go. Uh, hey, man, Clone Wars is coming back. I didn't know that was coming. Yeah. No, I, um, I haven't been able to. I haven't been able to go to San Diego Comic-Con for a number of years because uh, it always hits. Uh, my kids' uh, visiting day at camp. Um, but, yeah, I was really disappointed not to be in the room for that. I had no idea it was coming, and, you know, I, it seemed to be a really, really closely guarded secret. Um, but, yeah, like the, emotion, the, uh, the um, ovation in the room when that was announced was really fun to see, even on a little Twitter video. So, yeah, no, that's super fun. Very exciting. Now, that brings me to the next point, and I think you were part of this conversation on Twitter. So remember when Clone Wars came out and we didn't like the animation because it looked like Thunderbirds, and seven seasons later, everyone is like, wow, this looks so fantastic. Why can't Rebels look like that? And then you watched, what, four seasons of Rebels, and you were like, 
wow, that looks pretty cool. I like this show a lot. And now Resistance came out with a trailer, and we're all hating on the animation style. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it's just basic primate stuff. We, <laughs> we, we hate change. Um, we hate change. We get used to it. We, uh, you know, then we decide things are okay. Then we hate the new thing. I mean, all that's new. I mean, you know, the, the unfortunate thing in all this, frankly, is Twitter, which, you know, I, I have, maybe I should write something more about this or maybe I should never write about it, but, you know, I've, I've tried to train myself to, you know, to not take the dictates of Twitter and have them make me do stupid shit. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't, you, you know, when you get on Twitter, particularly when people start adding you, there's the default is that you have to respond. You have to have an opinion. You have to have that, that opinion strongly held. You have to defend that opinion. But, you know, that's all, that's all just Twitter. It has nothing to do with, you know, what you actually may think. And so, you know, I, I think we all need to resist that. You don't have to instantly have an opinion. You have to, you can easily say things like, I need to think about that or, you know, I need to see the whole thing or I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I think about that. Or I changed my mind. Like there's nothing wrong with any of that. We do that in the real world <laughs> all the time. And just because Twitter works against it doesn't mean we have to play that game. So yeah, I mean the animation style for resistance looks a little different. Okay. I'm excited to see the show. You know, let me see a half season of the show and maybe I'll tell you what I think about it. And then maybe I'll change my mind. It's all okay. Yeah, and the flip side would be, it probably would be a little weird if we had multiple series that all had the exact same animation style. Then you're kind of becoming something else where it's like things can only look this way and uh, oh, yeah, it looks then, different. Then we'd all, yeah, and then we'd all complain about this new Rebels is the, or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, but I really think in the, in the kind of pre-Twitter era, like none of this would have been a thing. It's just all that we, you know, we all have taken on this this new style of things without thinking through how it changes things and what it means, and you know. So just step back. I mean, well, yeah, I'm very excited about Clone Wars and uh, uh, excited to see Resistance, and we'll see. You talked about primates, and I don't want to pretend I'm the most enlightened person in the world. Although I think I'm more enlightened as I approach fifty than I was at twenty five. Yeah. I, I typed Star Wars into Google to prep for the pod, and there was this big, I skimmed it, Washington Post article about Star Wars fans being upset about diversity, and I was like, what? Like, who? And I guess I see this stuff on Twitter, and I filter it out. I'm like, like who is upset that the main character is a woman or, or a person who doesn't look like their ancestors came from Ireland or whatever. Like, like who are these people? Like it's Star Wars. Just watch it. Yeah. I actually have an interview with someone coming out in which I go into that a little more um, than I had before. So I'm going to save that for them. But um, right. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't, I don't get that either. Um, let's hold that one off for a couple of weeks, but yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's Star Wars. It's, it's TPU and lightsabers and, um, but, you know, more, more fundamentally, um, you know, without, with holding off on the, 
on the diversity representation thing, though I do think that's a really interesting discussion. Um, another part of our, our modern era that I don't quite get is, you know, if a if a film franchise or a book series or a comic for whatever it is doesn't work for you anymore, walk away from it. Um, but with your feet, you know, that's, that's okay. You're allowed to do that. Um, and you know, it's don't, don't let something, don't let something changing for you in ways you don't like, like invalidate all the parts of it that made you a fan in the first place. Like you don't have to do that. Um, you know, this, all this, and hell, this is true of baseball too. You know, all this is designed to be, you know, something fun to do when you're not at work. Um, you know, and if it on fundamental level stops being fun, um, go do something else. (laughs) Whether it's, yeah, whether it's the Mets or whether it's a galaxy far, far away, like, you know, if it doesn't bring you joy, go do something else. Life's too short. Well, I meant to bring up during the David Wright part that the right thing is actually bothering me like more than when I'm just killing time on Twitter. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there there is this persona I've created both on the blog and Twitter that, you know, I think some people think I'm walking around all day muttering about black uniforms and being mad at Gary Cohen's home run calls or whatever that I've built this character around. And, and mm-hmm. it's not. It, it's it's what you said that, you know, usually when I'm doing that, it's because the game is boring and I'm entertaining myself or I'm sitting on a train for an hour. But then when I put the phone down, I'm not. I, I don't care if Keith Hernandez is selling a book or not. It, it's, and I'm not saying like the whole like the whole thing Metzglies is fake, but it, it's to your point. Like, okay, if I don't like the game, I turn it off, and uh, if I don't like the animation style of the, the other The Clone Wars, then I don't buy the DVD, and and it's fine. And you can like it, and I don't have to like it. And this is just fandom. Uh, there've been a couple takeaways from the last Jedi that have really helped me in my own life. Like you just talked about, you used the phrase, you know, it's pew pew and lightsabers. And what went in my head was Luke saying laser sword. And it's just like, just start to let this go. And in my own life, the whole theme of, let the past die, just let it go. There are people who I was mad at. I let go. I realized I was going to run into the person who had fired me from my last job, and I was mentally prepared for it. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to shake his hand and go, how you doing, and keep it short and move on with my life rather than just let, let this anger just seethe inside me. And, you know, maybe I'm being corny here, but, like, there were a lot of life lessons for me in that film. And I know that film drives people nuts, but, you know, not getting all sacred about it. Jason, it's called a lightsaber and all that. It, it's just, it's a movie. Just watch it. Yes. Well, and if you're, well, I'm going to do that horrible Twitter thing of, of skating by your point to be, to be pedantic guy, but, and laser sword was used in episode one and nobody bad an eye. So, you know, whatever you are, whether you're, you know, a, um, whether you're a fan, whether Star Wars is a popcorn movie or whether you are like a huge dork, either way, let it go. Just let it go. <laughs> I, I am picturing the Twitter version of like, you know, I, I bear my soul and, you know, you just jump on. They said, please resort in episode one. You're so stupid. You should know this. Why do you even have a push? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, my final Star Wars topic for the week. Does Chewbacca eat humans? We have gotten uh, sort of an answer of this. Yes. 
go. I know where you're going. Yes. Uh, do you have an opinion on this, or should I just go to the reveal? Well, no, you, you go to the reveal. All right. In the uh, new solo companion novel, um, yeah. the author gets into, uh, has, does she eat humans? And the line is, he hasn't gotten that hungry, not yet. And we learn that Chewie does eat meat occasionally, but has not yet eaten any humans. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the uh, <laughs> you know, innumerable people, well, not innumerable, thank goodness, but innumerable people marooned on islands didn't think they ate humans until they did. So maybe we should give Chewie a pass. I mean, yeah. The, well, the, Donner, uh, party, the Donner Party didn't eat humans until they had to. No, and again, you know, we we uh, we all eat, uh, or many of us eat meat, and um, you know, if you're a Wookiee, a human might just be a form of meat. I don't think that makes sure. them a bad Wookiee. No, not at all. Um, yeah, no, we do have one more Star Wars thing though, because what do you got? On Tuesday, my next book, Solo Tales from Vandor, comes out, and everyone should buy it, of course. Um, no, it's a fun book. It's uh, from the folks at Studio Fun, who I've worked with quite a bit, and I always, always enjoy working with them. So it's in the style of Raid Survival Guide, uh, Bomber Command, um, books like that, where it is, it is in-universe uh, with plenty of art and some cool fold-outs, uh, some of which were really, really fun to put together. Um, the thing I like about it, it's told from the perspective of a guy named uh, Midnight, who's technically a new character. He's one of the bartenders um, in the lodge that we saw at Solo. And he has oh, cool. all sorts, he hears all sorts of stories, as bartenders do. And so he has stories about Han, about Chewie, about Lando, about L3, about uh, Tobias Beckett, etc. Um, the part of it that was really fun for me as an author is that some of those stories are true. You will recognize them as a Star Wars fan. Um, some are new. And some will probably make you raise an eyebrow. And uh, the book, probably to the incredible annoyance of Wikipedians, sorry everyone, does not delineate what is true, what is a tall tale, and what is somewhere in between. So, oh, you're so rascally. I love it. Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, so, but that's the way it goes. I mean, there are tales you hear at the bar. So, yeah. So, oh, I you know, love it. Tuesday, pull up a chair and let midnight entertain you and let me entertain you through midnight. And uh, I hope people will take it. Oh, that's so cool. Very yeah, awesome. fun to do. Uh, I love that approach. Yeah, no, it was really natural for us once we had settled on that book. And uh, it made a lot of sense. And um, it was also a chance for me to revisit uh, some, uh, some Han stories that I really liked uh, from all across uh, the storytelling eras. Um, that I hope will get some people talking and asking me uh, questions on Twitter that I will, I will uh, coyly refuse to answer. <laughs> Sorry in advance for that one, too. You do seem, uh, even on Twitter, to have the respect of Star Wars fans. I don't see people coming after you. Maybe I, I, you would see your own Twitter. Maybe I, I just don't see those tweets. Uh, yeah, in fairness, I have curated my list uh, really carefully. I mean, there are some, there's a very small segment of Star Wars fans uh, who I don't particularly like how they go about doing things, and I have kind of preemptively kept them out of my world because um, 
I don't particularly like the way they do things, and they probably wouldn't like me, and it's just simpler for both of us to not have those interactions. But, yeah, I mean, whether it's that or whether it's just um, good luck or something else, yeah, no, I have had pretty good interactions. People have been, been very kind to me, and I do what I can to uh, be kind in return. No, that's great. And, you know, best of luck with the book. We also get the digital release of Solo this week. Uh, that drives me nuts because I'm from the 1980s and I need to own a physical copy, which means I have to wait two more weeks plus the day two or three where Amazon has their little battle with Disney and I can't even pre-order the thing. But eventually, soon, I will own Solo and it will be watched and then join the others on the shelf and that will make me happy. Wait, it's digital next week and then physical a bit later? Physical, I think, two weeks later. Oh, I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, that yeah. seems to be the can, thing they do Can you get digital at the beginning? Can you, like, pre-order and get digital and then get physical, or do you have to wait? You you have to wait. Like, so I usually buy the, like, the combo, like, Blu-ray plus digital pack. Um, yeah. So, like, I see where you're going. It'd be nice, like, can I give you the money now and watch the thing yeah. for two weeks, and then you can mail me something. But that does not seem to be an option. I would be happy to be wrong on that. Oh, well. All right. So it goes uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, this is something I'm, I'm, I am genuinely uh, super curious about the extras on there. Um, yeah, you mentioned the novelization, um, by, uh, my, my colleague, Myrtle Lafferty. Um, I know that has a lot of the, uh, deleted stuff in there as well as some other cool things, but, um, yeah, there's some things I'm really excited to see, uh, from the extras. So, oh, well, well yeah. Hey, by the end of the month, we'll have it, and we can talk about that and enjoy that. And as we've talked about since we started the pod, what an amazing time. We've got a movie coming, another movie coming, uh, two TV series at least, plus the live-action John Favreau one coming when Disney Flicks comes along. I mean, just what an amazing time. Yeah, so many things. The Game of, Game of Thrones dudes movies, Ryan's trilogy. Um, yeah, and as we said before, we're probably forgetting something. We've reached the era <laughs> where it's entirely possible we are forgetting a trilogy by a name that is in the works. And like, how did we get to that point? That's kind of crazy. Yeah, just truly great. Well, it's good catching up with you, and this was fun as always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice to be back in the swing of things and talk to you soon.